my favorite obviously would be would be uh going chasing smallmouth and it would it would be one of those days where you know early fall uh where you're you're kind of you know maybe wearing a you know a down jacket in the morning uh overcast cloudy you know maybe a a little spitting rain here or there and uh flows up just a little bit uh with some color in the water and uh you know i'm hitting these stretches that are in tail outs that are three foot deep with structure and uh some current but not a lot and uh, uh whether it's chunk rock and and just going to town you know throwing uh either my shirtless jimmy or murdick minnow wiggle minnow and and throwing those streamers and you know looking for those big guys coming out and putting on the feed before winter Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, featuring interviews with passionate people within the fly fishing industry. We focus on guides, conservation, resort managers, gear, and talented fly tires bringing usable information to fly fishers. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by The Fly Crate. Well, this week on the podcast, we're going to chat all things smallmouth. So fly fishing for smallies uh, with a gentleman by the name of Jeff Trigg. We'll get to that in just a moment. Just want to let you know that the podcast is brought to you by the folks at the Fly Crate. Since 2015, the Fly Crate has taught thousands of anglers world-class fly fishing techniques and provides unique fly fishing flies, gear, and tackle. The Fly Crate is an American-owned company, and they're committed to helping USA veterans by dedicating 2% of sales to Project Healing Waters. Check them out, www.theflycrate.com. We want to welcome Jeff Trigg to the podcast this week. Now, Jeff is the owner, head guide of Ozark Sweetwater Fly Fishing. He uh, works with Three Creeks Outdoors. So what he does is he's a rep for um, Sage Elite Pro Staff. He does Reddington Reels. He's also a rep for Tohe Boats. And just a a wealth of information on smallmouth bass. He sent me a video actually on Vimeo. We're going to talk about that now. And it's titled uh, Water and Blood, basically smallie fishing in Jeff's backyard in south central Missouri. So I I did take a look at that vid you sent me. That's uh, that's a pretty sweet video. It's really well done too. Yeah, that was one. Um, I mean... Normally, every time somebody wants to film and, and put a camera in one of my boats, I was like, oh, that's an anti, anti-fish device. But uh, that was, uh, I had worked with Nathaniel. Uh, we'd been trying to get together to do that one for Sage. And, and man, we just, you know, his schedule was busy because he does a lot of hunting, uh, stuff like that. And, and trying to get our schedule together. And we finally could. And it was, you know, at a time when, uh, the river was really low and clear as you could tell from the video <laughs> and i said boy film every every fish we catch because it may be few and far between today and uh the, but he said you know he told me at the beginning he said well you know this film you know i'm really not about just doing fish porn he said you know i'd like to tell a story and i said well that's a good thing that's a good excuse if the fishing's bad <laughs> so well, he caught enough to keep it interesting, and I thought he did, he ended up doing a really nice job. And oh yeah, that uh, that red, he used a I believe it's a red camera. It's like a studio camera okay. and uh, a, high, a very expensive one. And and I thought, wow, and I, you know, I've had guys with you know decent cameras, but nothing like that in the boat. And 
And boy, when the, when I saw the finished product the first time, I thought, wow, you can really tell a difference. Yeah, for sure. No, it's awesome. And I could tell he was he was pleased as punch to fish with you. And obviously, you uh, you know you know that area really well, right? That's is that is that your kind of your backyard? That's my home river. Yeah, that's the one I started on and grew up on. And and uh, yeah, that's the uh, you know honestly, it was it's kind of a funny story. Is I. I didn't guide on that river for a long time. Um, I kind of kept that, um, just, you know, I guided the white river and the North fork of the wide and the 11 point and kept that just for me and a couple friends to, to smallmouth fish. And I kind of got to a point where I was a little burned out, um, uh, with, uh, you know, the white river is a great fishery and, and, but it's a lot of days of watching a bobber and, uh, Mm-hmm. You know, it got to a point where I was getting really burned out, and smallmouth are really kind of my favorite thing there is. And I kind of really thought about it, and I thought, you know, I'm not, you know, I hate to put a lot of pressure on the fishery, but you know, it is a long float. Somebody's really got to almost commit to a to a two day float to do it on their own. And so I thought, well, for my own sanity, and and uh, I'll, I'm going to start kind of sp- doing smallmouth, you know, exclusively from you know, late March, early April till September, October, whenever the weather allows, and then, uh, switch over to trout. And it really uh, kind of rejuvenated myself and started having a lot more fun. And, and it was really fun introducing uh, people who never even caught a smallmouth on, on gear, you know, especially not on flat rod, mm. introducing a lot of people to something they've never thought about doing. And, uh, you know, smallmouth being native to the Ozarks it just kind of makes sense but uh I was pleasantly you know pleasantly surprised so. that's something I really want to get into because I, I I have a lot of requests for people to talk smallmouth particularly when it comes to fly fishing because I think traditionally maybe it hasn't hasn't been the number one way to kind of chase smallies but um I know I'm I'm really comfortable in that zone too because I'll tell you what we got some beautiful smallmouth where I'm at mostly still water but they sure put up a tussle and they can get just downright aggressive. Oh yeah. I always tell people, you know, they have red eyes for a reason. They're just kind of pissed off fish (laughs) and they, you know, I, you know, people always ask me, you know, do you, do you feel, you know, uh, you know, at a disadvantage with a fly rod. And and honestly, I don't at all. There's one time a year, like in the dead of winter, uh, when those fish move to wintering holes, and, uh, you know, kind of sit on the bottom. They're not super active. Um, I'm at a little disadvantage there because those guys can, you know, kind of dredge soft plastics over structure and move it really slow and maintain a really tight line to it. And you can do it, uh, with a fly rod. It's not a lot of excitement really until you hook up, but, uh, that's really the only time I think I'm at a disadvantage at all. We're chatting today with Jeff Trigg, owner, head guide of Ozark Sweetwater Fly Fishing uh, out of uh, central south Missouri. Uh, I think more specifically, New Bloomfield, Missouri. Uh, he tells me it's not a, a, an overly large town, so we're going to have to do a little research on this. Um, but I'm really grateful that Jeff is taking the time out to join us. He's also uh, Sage Elite Pro Staff and uh, Reddington, of course. Uh, and you're also a certified casting instructor through the Federation of Fly Fishers. I'm sure there's a few things I missed. Jeff, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. 
Well, great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, let's 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 keep talking smallies here. So, um, in your neck of the woods, given I mean, it sounds to me like given the choice, you're probably going to chase smallies over trout. Is am I accurate in that? Uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I grew up, uh, you know, fishing the farm pond, and but uh, kind of my first experience river fishing was uh, was for smallmouth, and that uh, always is you know, kind of go back to that as, as being my favorite thing. I, I, there's a lot of, in a lot of ways. I just think it's, uh, almost tailor made for a fly rod in a lot of ways. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and so are you fishing? Let's talk when you're trying to find these smallies, even on, even on a, um, a body of water, a section of river that you know intimately. What what's your kind of go to? Are we talking rocks? Are we talking logs? What what? How do you scan the river when you look for smallmouth with a fly rod? Oh uh, yeah, both of those actually. Uh, is, you know, people who fish for smallmouth a lot know that they just love structure. They like to ambush prey. And so what I'll look for, and kind of when I have clients in the boat, you know, part of having them out in the boat is to teach, you know, hopefully teach them some things and. I always tell them to look at the riverbank. If it's a, you know, if it's a bluff or it's a really rocky bank, you know, what's on the bank is more than likely, you know, 99% of the time is what's in the river bottom. So, uh, you know, I look for those spots that are, you know, have a stable substrate. Um, you know, if you have a area that the bottom changes a lot or, you know, with with uh, floods and stuff, it moves and changes, that's typically not a place you're going to find them. Um, they're going to be in those spots where either it's big chunk rock or dead logs that have been there a while, um, that are kind of anchored in the river. And if you have a stable substrate, you've got your crawfish and your bait fish. So it just makes sense that those smallmouth are going to be there. Yeah, that's a really good tip actually, because I think that's something sometimes we forget when we're on the water that a lot of times what's underneath is echoing what's on the shore. And that's like, if you're finding a stretch of boulders or even some, a lot of wood, a lot of times that can echo itself subsurface. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I'm, I, I, I will just despise fishing like a mud bank. In fact, I will, I will motor past mud banks all the time. And, and uh, I've got a good friend of mine that fishes with me and actually helps me guide a little bit. He'll, uh, we have a stretch on the river that it's a mud bank that he seems to always pull a fish off of. And, and uh, I've actually just kind of changed the name of the hole to Zach hole. And he <laughs> <laughs> always seems to pull a fish off and I try to motor past and he's like, wait, 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 go back. But typically, you know, I, I look for that, that really rocky structure and uh, where I know, you know, in the Ozarks here, their, their main food source is crawfish and, and bait fish. So, uh, that's where crawfish love to be. So, uh, those fish are going to be there waiting to eat them. So what have you got for bait fish in most of the waters that you're fishing? Like what, what specifically species are those smallies targeting? Um, a little bit of everything. Um, we'll have, we have darters, we have, uh, uh, you know, your, your Creek chubs, uh, we'll have, you know, small, smaller bass. We'll have some, some of the rivers will have, uh, actually, you know, rainbow trout. Uh, that, you know, the bigger smallmouth will eat, um, you know, uh, have, uh, like I said, crawfish, but the bait fish are normally, you know, threadfin shad, um, and, and darters for the most part. So are you fishing 
largely subsurface? Are you fishing a lot of poppers as well? What does that look like? Uh, I'm really curious. So when you're fishing, let's say, you know, four, five, six, eight feet of water, are you fishing right on the top or how, how are you working that fly? Not, there's, there's several times a year. Um, if the fish are in a normal pattern, there's, there's times a year where poppers are really effective. Uh, but I would say probably in my river, about 90% of the time we're fishing subsurface with, with bait patterns. Um, you know, the great thing about, about our rivers is most of them are spring fed really clear. And you'll see on a normal day, you'll see probably, you know, 80 to 85% of the eats, you'll get to see it. And, uh, to me, that's, you know, kind of the most fun is to, you know, throw that little double deceiver or, you know, whatever, you know, Murdoch minnow and throw it along that, in that rock pile and, and watch that fish come out and just, just smash it. And that, you know, that's part of the fun. Um, a lot of people and myself included, I don't have a lot of patience for a popper as much fun as it is when it's on. Uh, it, it's sometimes really hard for people to sit there and pop it and then let it sit for 30 seconds. Uh, oh, yeah. you know, that 30 seconds seems like an eternity when you're waiting for a fish to come <laughs> up. So, you know, <laughs> that is I, so I, true. Why is yeah, that? It's, it's just really like... hard. I, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Right. I've gone to, uh, uh, oh, you know, Flyman has those, the double barrel poppers. Um, yeah. and I will, I will use those on a sink tip and, and really never really fish it as a popper and fish it more, you know, almost as a diver or, a. Uh, yeah. just pushing a lot of water and causing a disturbance because I don't have to leave it sit for very long. <laughs> well, I would imagine you get a lot of hookups doing that too, because you're more in, in touch, aren't you? With that, uh, line kind of pulling down a bit. Yeah. Every time I have a, it, it works really well. And every time I show, you know, I, I do that with a client, they'll, they'll look at me like I'm crazy, you know, putting a popper on the sink. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, mm. w- one of my favorite flies to fish is a wiggle minnow, uh, Todd's wiggle minnow. And, uh, I've got some of my guide friends, they all give me grief about fishing that, you know, that it's, a, you know, the, the fly version of a, of a lazy Ike or, or something like that. And I said, well, it doesn't matter to me. The thing catches fish. So <laughs> we're going to oh, yeah. keep fishing. And, I, and that fly on a sink tip is, is phenomenal. Um, as long as you keep stripping the fly, it's going to go down and then you can pause and on that pause. It kind of wiggles back up into the water column and, you know, depending on how the fish are acting that day, that that's super effective. So you're kind of uh, imitating a suspended minnow after it, like a shallow dive. I think I think that's a great tip. I never thought of doing that, and I, I I'll tell you what, I'm going to try it when I hit the water as soon as, as soon as things <laughs> warm up. Yeah, I'll throw a you know an S six uh, sink tip line and yeah, and I'll pull that fly down as you know. I, I I just believe I can cover a lot of depth of the water column, and if, especially if I'm really searching to pattern them to see where they're at that day and you know that way i can dive it to the bottom and let it wiggle back up or you know or steady strip it to keep it down you know it just gives you a lot of variabilities and options to to work the water and, and it's turned out to be really a effective way to catch fish how how many days are you out there on the water like as far as to set up our set up your year for us uh, as far as guiding taking clients out or just your own personal time and of course with your day job <laughs> i know you got a few <laughs> you're wearing a few hats over there and we'll get into that in a second but that's right it's uh nowadays i'm you know i'm no longer guiding full-time i probably i've been averaging the last uh three years about 
60 to 80 days a year on the water. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm taking a lot of repeat clients and stuff like that. Um, I do have some other guys I work with that, that are kind of will, will take trips for me. Um, you know, like you said, my day job, I'm the, uh, work for a rep group that we have, we represent, uh, independent sales rep group. We have, uh, Sage, Reddington, Rio, uh, Smith fly rafts, black strap, grapplers, uh, playing D fly boxes. So, you know, nowadays, um, you know, we get the winter is pretty slow for us and we start picking up in, you know, March and April, as far as the rep game goes. And so a lot of my trips, um, really start early and then my favorite time of year is actually early fall Hmm. uh, on my river you know being spring fed we're about a month behind you know some of our our non-spring fed smallmouth waters Um, so it really doesn't fire up until you know it varies on the weather but usually around may middle of may and uh, so they're a little bit late in spawning a little bit late to get going but if we have the right flows, you know, it'll hold out till October. And I really all, I can't say all, but the majority of the big fish that, uh, that we've caught has come in September. Um, that usually that first week after it, when it drops down into the, into the fifties, um, for like a week straight in the evening, usually that really seems to spark the big fish. Our numbers will go down, but the size will go up. And, uh, so it, it, I really get fired up as we're slowing down with the rep game is when the, my favorite time is to small mouth fish. So that's, uh, that's usually, you know, from September, October, November is when I'm really, really kind of hitting them as, as hard as I can. And I have the time to do it. So it's a, it's actually a pretty good, pretty good balance. What's your go-to stick for smallies in, in, in these river systems you're talking about? Like, I assume it's sage, but, uh, what specifically <laughs> let's talk, let's talk length, let's talk weight and, uh, which, what type of sage? Yeah. I, so I'm, I'm really, uh, really tough to just fall in love with the sage igniter. Um, I really like, I, I tend to like a faster action rod and, and, uh, you know, before we had the igniter, we had the method and, uh, the method was a great stick, but it it wasn't for everybody because it was a really ultra fast rod with kind of what I always say is a really uh, kind of a small window and if you know a small sweet spot, you had really had to know how to cast or how to load it. Um, the igniter has every bit of the power um, and the speed and well, the line speed, and when you put a sink tip line on it, it just has a lot more feel. And I don't need customers to make, you know, 60 foot casts. We're making on average, I'd say between 35 and 45 foot casts. I just need them to be accurate. Mm-hmm. And uh, that igniter paired with you know, the streamer tip, uh, depending on flows, I'll run a, a streamer tip that has a 10 foot S6 uh, tip section with floating line behind it or uh, a sink tip line with a 24 foot sink tip with floating line behind it if the flows are up a little bit. So that's kind of become my go-to in a, in a, I, I like a seven weight, mm-hmm. um, anywhere between a six and an eight, but I tend to lean towards the seven. I, I go with as heavy tipping as I feel like I can get away with because those smallies love to run back into structure. So you fish in I, floral? I like to be able to put snakes on them. Floral or? Yeah, straight floral, usually, usually four to six foot piece of floral carbon. Uh, right. 
anywhere, depending on flows, 10 to all the way up to 20 pounds if the water's up in 30. So seven weight, seven weight sage igniter. How long? Uh, nine foot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I always like to ask that because you know, um, I I tend to use too light of a rod, and and, and sometimes when that wind kicks up, I can I can see where you're coming from with a seven weight, um, especially when you're uh-huh. casting bigger flies, you know, big streamer pattern patterns or poppers, or even with a sink tip, it's nice to have a little more leverage. Yeah, with clients who haven't streamer fished a lot, I'll, I'll a lot of times go up to the eight weight. Um, just it just makes it a little easier if they haven't thrown a sink tip line and, and streamer fish. It just just makes it a little easier for them. It doesn't tire them out as bad. Um, but you know, depending on time of year, usually between a six and eight weight, we've got a new rod called the payload that was kind of designed to throw throw streamers, and it is eight foot nine in length, which is kind of a unique unique links but uh that one is is kind of is creeping up there on the igniter just just for streamer fishing alone but uh mm-hmm. either one of those in, in that in that range is, is uh kind of my go-to's at this point jeff when you're um you know selling your 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 brand your sage your your reddington reels what 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 area are you selling like what uh, what states are you covering in in with your company <laughs> Well, my business, my business partner and I like to say we have our our territory is the Louisiana Purchase minus Montana. So <laughs> we cover uh, Missouri, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi. Wow, and and Kansas, if I didn't say that. But uh, yeah, so we have a, a large geographical area. Not you know what I would consider you know the fly fishing mecca, although. Uh, you know, to Arkansas, Southern Missouri, and, and Texas for sure has just phenomenal fisheries. But I've been getting a lot uh, of downloads in Kansas last little bit. Yeah, you know, it's surprising. Kansas, uh, you know, we have there's a fly shop on, you know, up there, uh, and you know what? What I really appreciate about some of the Kansas folks is they've, uh, you know, obviously they don't have a lot of spring-fed water or any kind of Ozark terrain necessarily, but boy, they take advantage of what they do have, uh, you know, on some of the lakes and, and, uh, you know, tailwaters below lakes for, for wipers and white bass. And so it's a really kind of interesting group of guys up there. Um, you know, they all do trout fish when they get a chance, but obviously it's a, it's a little bit of a drive for them. So, uh, they've really, you know, got into the, you know, like I said, the wipers and the carp and, and yeah. just chasing some stuff that they have readily available close to them. So. Well, and that that I think we need more of that because let's face it, the more diverse uh, species and waters we get, the more people out there, and and there's there's some really under targeted species. You just mentioned carp; that's one in my mind. Smallies. Uh, when it comes to fly fishing, there's I mean, yeah, there's people doing it, but not like not like the brown trout, the rainbows, the cutties it's just a different game. And I think there's oh, so yeah. much, there's so much room for growth there in, in my mind. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, I still, it, it baffles me when, you know, somebody, uh, you know, sees me, sees my truck. I have, uh, you know, the rod vaults mounted on top of my truck and somebody's like, what's that? And I'm like, Oh, fly rods. And you know, they'll say, Oh, you, you're a trout fisherman. And like well, yes, but you can't. I mean, it still surprises me that people think that you can only catch trout on a fly rod. So, 
Yeah. Uh, I always love to educate guys. That you, you know, anything you can catch on gear, pretty much, you can catch on a fly. Uh, well said. Hey, how, how do you feel about a few rapid-fire questions? See where we go. Absolutely. All right. Um, when you're on the way to the water, you're in your truck, you're heading to your favorite uh, run. Favorite tunes to listen to on the way? What do you, What are you listening to? Ooh, uh, it varies, but I would say probably Ryan Bingham or a band called Devil Makes Three. Okay. Uh, go-to fly pattern for smallies that you just can't live without? Wiggle me now. Okay, so being that you're in, uh, you know, central southern Missouri, uh, at least your home base, now this this is a little tricky one for me. We're talking St. Louis Blues, Razorbacks, Sooners, Chiefs. <laughs> Come on, pick one. Uh, you know, it, it's a little funny. Uh, we, you know, back in the day, we were, uh, as far as baseball, we were St. Louis Cardinals, St. Louis Blues hockey, and and uh, St. Louis Cardinals football. And then when, obviously, the Cardinals football left St. Louis, you know, we all kind of became Chiefs fans. So <laughs> we kind of split the state. For football, we go west. For everything else, we go east. <laughs> that's a yeah. great answer I, love I was that. i was actually just i was actually just watching the blues game you know we're up to all on buffalo right now so there you go good stuff biggest lesson learned when it comes to fly fishing and your time on the water what's a big takeaway for you uh look before you cast um you know everybody gets is excited to get in the boat and fish and and you know get that line in the water but you know, I, I over the years I've learned that sometimes you know I'll launch the boat off the ramp and just sit in the boat and look around and observe, you know, what I see moving in the water, what I see, you know, what bugs I see flying around. Do I see, you know, grasshoppers? Uh, you know, just kind of take it all in before I start because a lot of times that, you know, that gets you started, you know, right off on the day in a good position. Yeah. You know, instead of just running into the boat and firing it up and let's go. You know? So, yeah, I thought just take your time and, and observe your surroundings before you start. When you're not fly fishing, you would be doing what? Ooh, probably uh, bow hunting at this point. Nice. Uh, I, uh, yeah, just, you know, I bow hunted when I was younger and kind of got away from it. Last few years, I kind of got back into it. Yeah, if I'm not, uh, not on the water, I'm probably in the woods hanging in a tree somewhere couple of favorite movies from the past few years you like? You know, uh, boy, that's a tough one. I don't, I don't see a lot of movies. Uh, I, I, I kind of get stuck in a rut and, <laughs> and stick with ones that I know are good or, yeah. or uh, you know, I'd probably say the last, uh, this latest Quentin Tarantino movie has probably been my favorite in the last couple of years. Right on. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Best, yeah. best job you ever had. The one I have now. <laughs> I love it. I knew you. I knew you were going to say that. And yeah, I kind of had the best of both worlds. So, well, I, you're, you're living the dream uh, when it comes. I mean, spending all your life definitely revolves around fishing. Between your, you know, your we call it your day job, but you know, you're repping your brands for uh, Three Creeks Outdoors, but also uh, you're guiding. And then I'm. Are you doing some tying in your spare time when you have any? Yeah, I do. I. Uh... Uh, you know, I've kind of, I don't tie as much as I used to, or I, I do tie with quite a bit, but it comes in spurts these days. Uh, you know, I'll, before guy season, 
really kicks off, I may sit down and you know, I might tie a hundred ligaments in a week and then, you know, tie my go-to patterns and I don't have to tie any for several months. But, uh, I really like tying streamers and, and, uh, we've got a big event down at Dowie's Ozark Flyfish are coming up, uh, the streamer love fest that I've been tying that since the beginning. And, uh, I believe, uh, Brian, who's Brian Wise, who was on the show uh, a while yeah. back, he, he'll be there as well. And, uh, so I, I will kind of experiment with streamers. I, I have like a, a little mad scientist notebook that I keep in the truck or with me and, you know, I'll get ideas and I'll jot them down or sketch them out and then, uh, you know, come home and play around with it, see if it works. About 75% of the time it doesn't. <laughs> and I have a, a big giant clear jar full of maybe, you know, not so much flies, <laughs> you know, yeah, but every I, once in a while I, I hit a home run off of it. So. It's funny you said that because I find that too. Like, you know, I'll come, I'll, I'll say the head hits the pillow after a day on the water and you have these ideas. You're like, oh, why didn't I try this type of head or, or, or this color or this, whatever you're thinking. And nine times out of 10, I don't write it down. And then I've, that thought's gone, you know? Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, like I said, I'll, I'll write, either jot it down or I'll even draw it out and kind of write, you know, almost a recipe in a, in a drawing of where I want what material and, uh, it's a lot of fun. I, it's, uh, I, I don't have the patience to sit down and, and it's so hard for me to tie a bunch of flies at once, even though I, I do tend to do it a couple of times a year, but I, you know, if I'm working on a, I have a, a pattern of mine, it's, it's called the shirtless Jimmy. That's one of my, that the wiggle minnow and, and the Murdoch minnow are probably my three go-to molly flies. And it's a, a take off of a friend of mine's pattern, uh, called the Stouffer shuttlecock. And, you know, I'll sit down to tie a bunch of those. And, you know, I start looking about after about the fourth one, I'm like, well, what if I tweak this a little bit? And then <laughs> next thing you know, I look down and I have about five different patterns there that I didn't even intend yeah. to start with. So that, yeah, that's a sure, that's a sure fire way to get your buddies a little angry with you especially if you find one out of the four that starts working you know it's like well this one's a little different <laughs> yeah. thanks for nothing here take this one <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I do that all the time it drives my buddies nuts but uh <laughs> you know what it keeps it fresh too and let's face it 90 percent of us or 99 percent of us are not commercial tires so to sit down and systematically go at it i i find it boring to be quite honest and, and I, I think that's yeah. that's what drives the creative bus you know Absolutely. I don't, I, I give it up to, you know, I've got friends that are commercial tires and well, I give it up to them cause there is no way I can do it. <laughs> I just, no. Uh, it's just tough for me. Um, if, if you had to single out somebody, uh, Jeff, that's been a big influence in your fly fishing that you've been influenced by, whether it's somebody you knew or somebody, you know, maybe you read their books or, or, uh, got to know them through shows and whatnot. Who, who would you look to as a uh, big influence in your fly fishing? You know, I think, uh, boy, if I had to pick one, I think it's probably the same answer that uh, a lot of guys in this area are going to say it's going to be uh, Mr. Dave Whitlock. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we were kind of lucky enough to have him live in this area for a long time. And, and uh, you know, boy, him and his wife, Emily, are, are, you know, some of the best people you'll ever want to meet. You know, obviously, he, you know, Dave was just a wealth of knowledge. You know, he lived on the White River and, you know, probably, you know, he was the first person I ever saw, you know, check water temps. And, you know, I always thought, wow, 
why is he checking water temps? And then you, you ask him and he tells you and you're like, oh, you know, that makes sense. And so, you know, for as long as he was around the area and, and lived here, uh, you know, fairly close to me and along the White River, you know, between his books and just conversations with him and, and you know, being around him, he's, uh, you know, I, I don't think he'd find too many guys, especially guys that have guided or are, you know, avid fishermen in the White River system. Southern Missouri, Northwest Arkansas, the majority of them are probably going to tell you Dave Whitlock. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, being that you're you're on the road, you're seeing uh, lots of different waters, lots of different shows. I'm curious from your point of view, if you could talk to somebody and say, hey, here's one or two fly shows I would hit this winter, what shows would you most highly recommend? You know, um... The, the Denver show is a really good one, uh, one that just happened here recently. Uh, yeah. Uh, that's a really good one. I mean, you know, I don't hit as many consumer shows as I used to. Um, mm-hmm. You know, mostly, you know, obviously like IFTD, you know, we have to be at and uh, things like that. Uh, but, yeah, the Denver show is a really good one. And actually, I did some presentations uh, several years ago at the Western North Carolina show in Asheville. And, uh, that was, a, a a really fun regional show. Yeah. Okay. Good stuff. And you do ICAST, you say that's, that's one you, uh, you go to. You know, yeah, we don't, we don't have to any longer. Um, you know, the, the IFTD and ICAST separated, um, right. you know, this was the first year, you know, IFTD was back on its own in Denver. Uh, so that was kind of an exciting deal. Uh, but I actually, I really enjoyed it being connected to ICAST, and I know that you know I may be in the mon- in the minority on that opinion, but uh, I love going over there and looking at what all the gear guys have going on. Um, yeah, to well, me, you can always pick up a ton of stuff from those guys. A hundred percent, and you know I think it works both ways, right? It's not a one way street. Like you, we can learn as much um, from the guys making the lures as you can the guys tying the flies, because I think there's a lot of inspiration, especially when it comes to streamer patterns that come from, you know, I always remember when those first multi jointed rapalas came out with those big deep diving lips. Yeah, the old Chad wraps. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And 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 now you're kind of seeing flies trying to echo some of that in my mind. And some of these guys tying some of these patterns are just phenomenal. Oh yeah, they're you know, I think uh you know, a lot of times, you know, I think uh, and you know, unfortunately, uh I think it's getting better, but I think you know, fly fishermen had somewhat of an elitist attitude. Uh, you know, and kind of turned your nose up at gear fishermen and and but I tell you what, they're way more scientific about it than we ever thought about being. And, uh, you know, I've picked up a lot, you know, watching, you know, I live really, you know, basically right along Lake of the Ozarks and, uh, obviously a huge bass fishing lake, you know, they have the, um, you know, world bass fishing championships or I can't remember all the names of the different tours, but they, they stop by and we have some local guys that, that fish the bass tour and, Boy, I, I bug them all the time. I mean, a lot of times, uh, you know, I, I really enjoy chasing temperate bass, you know, your white bass hybrid stripers. And, and uh, boy, you know, I'll ask them, hey, do you think a rattle makes a difference or, you know, things like that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, those guys, they're a wealth of knowledge. I mean, they they put a lot of time in on the water and, and really, 
kind of go about it a little more scientifically than a fly fisherman does. Um, yeah. You know, so well, there's look, always, look, you know, you know, something to learn. Look at the technology that over the years has got into those bass boats. I always look at those and think, that would be oh. a beautiful fly casting platform. It's perfectly flat. You've got total control. Right. You know, um, yeah. No, it's uh, well. The first lots... time I fished out of one, uh, a friend of mine's got one, and and uh, first time I fished out of it years. His actually, this is probably three boats of his ago, but uh, maybe even more than that. But uh, you know, the first time I fished with electronics, and I thought, wow, this is this is like cheating. <laughs> you know, like this is too. This makes it really easy, and uh, you know, which is which is fun. But to me too, a lot of you know, you know, what kind of drew me to fly fishing a little bit was the kind of solitary pursuit and going out. And, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't like somebody going go here, fish this with this fly at this depth. And, you know, they, that, that information is good, but I, I kind of like the exploration of it, figuring it out myself. And, to me, that's part of the fun. Not everybody, maybe, but for me, that's that's part of the enjoyment of it. Yeah, I I totally get what you're saying there for sure. Like the figuring out the puzzle on your own is is the game in my mind. Like if you just kind of do what everyone else is doing, you, and I, I noticed on that the the video you sent me there on uh, via Vimeo, uh-huh. um, you're fishing a stretch of river that basically is not that accessible. I think it was a 25 mile stretch. You, you got to be committed to, to, to float that much water to cover it. Right. That, yeah. That, that's yeah, a big, that's, that's a big commitment. Yeah, absolutely. But it, to me, it was worth every, you know, uh, now I have some private access. It makes it a little less than that for me, but uh, for the average guy, yeah, it's a, it's a commitment and, and, you know, I'm pretty much the one that has to cut the trees out of the way. And, and because there's not very many people, you know, no other outfitters run that stretch, you know, up above, uh, up river, you'll have, there's a, a lot of canoe liveries and, you know, kayaks and, you know, they will be, boy, on a Saturday in July, you might, they might put three 3,500 canoes and rafts on that river. And I can go down where I'm at and run, 18, 20 miles on a Saturday, the same Saturday and see one or two boats. Um, hmm. and so, you know, I have to commit to, you know, going with the chainsaw all the time because if the tree falls through across, uh, nobody else is going to cut it. So, right. uh, to me, that's just part of the price of, of, of having a, having a fishery like that. It, it's, it's worth every minute. So, I got I a weird, doing that at all. got a weird question for you. It's something that I think about uh, when I am drifting a river, um, now as a guide, you, you know, the river probably intimately and you know exactly kind of what, depending on the flows, how long it's going to take you. But I, a lot of times when I do drift, we put in and, and I, we knock off more than we can chew. It's like, okay, so we, we leave one vehicle at another <laughs> place and it's like, okay, it's getting dark guys. I really think there's no stopping anymore. It's, do you know what I mean? <laughs> the next thing you do, yeah, you're oh, crawling yeah. up the bank and you can't see your feet cause it's pitch black. It's, uh, it's, it's always amazed me how, how do you know how far to go? I mean, like, I know that sounds like a weird question, but how do you plan your trip? No, you know, I would say on average, um, you know, on, on say normal flows, I would, you know, I always tell guys, you know, pick between, you know, six and eight miles for a good full day float with fishing involved. Uh, 
you know, that's a good average, uh, where you, you know, you're going to be able to hit it, uh, you know, as much as you want. And then you don't have that massive distance to cover. If it starts getting late, you know, you hit a section, it's fishing really good. You spend, you know, a couple hours and, you know, you know, in a quarter mile stretch and you still have five miles to go and, yeah, that's not a good six feeling. Six to eight is a no. I think six to eight's a good average. Uh, you know, I know uh, before I got the private access, um, you know, I was well. Actually, before I got the second private access that I, I have, uh, you know, I was basically committed to about eighteen miles, and uh, uh, you know, I did that, you know, multiple days in a row in, in a drift boat, and uh, you know, it, they were long days. They were you know, 10, 12 hours a day on the water. There was, uh, you know, not a whole lot of stopping and getting out, you know, may stop and eat lunch and, you know, take a break here or there, but it was pretty much, we're staying in the boat and we're moving. We're not, uh, you know, we're hitting the high spots. You know, if it's a, a section that's, that's not fishing well, we're going to skip it and, and move on. Um, you know, I run a little towy river skiff with a 30 horse jet on it as well. And, Right. You know, that, that helps, you know, so, yeah, no kidding. you know, if it gets late, you just fired up and, and move on. But, uh, and we've established, you know, it, it still happens to me. We've established that you're not slowing down when there's mud. <laughs> no, 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 we're bypassing every mud bank. I don't care how good it looks to you. We're going on. <laughs> I love it. I got to, I got to ask you, Jeff, to paint a picture for us. If you could describe your perfect day on the water, just just kind of take us through that. You know, the type of water you're fishing. When does it start in the morning? Um, kind of harness your inner artist for a second. Uh, well, my favorite obviously would be would be uh, going chasing smallmouth, and it would it would be one of those days where you know early fall, uh, where you're you're kind of you know maybe wearing a you know a down jacket in the morning. Uh, overcast, cloudy, you know, maybe a, a little spitting rain here or there and, uh, flows up just a little bit, uh, with some color in the water. And, uh, you know, I'm hitting these stretches that are in tail outs that are three foot deep with structure and, uh, some current, but not a lot. And, uh, uh, whether it's chunk rock and, and just going to town, you know, throwing, mm-hmm. uh, Either my shirtless Jimmy or Murdoch Minnow, Wiggle Minnow, and and throwing those streamers and you know looking for those big guys coming out and putting on the feed before winter. Awesome. And then uh, you, I noticed smallies tend to get pretty active in the later hours. So as the day progresses on, do you do you kind of find yourself lingering a little longer as that light fades? Absolutely. I that's another a great thing for smallmouth. You know, for me is there's no need to be on the river at 6 a.m. <laughs> you know, that's when, you know, we can start at, uh, we can start at eight or nine and, and I'll tell, I'll tell guys a lot. I said, look, you know, you're paying me for a day, but I have no problem. If, if, if we're doing good, I'll stay on the water. I, I don't, I don't have anywhere to be. So let's, you know, if this trip goes till dark, it goes till dark, you know, let's just have a good time. And, and so, yeah, I will, you know, I may not start super early. In fact, a lot of times there's no need to. Um, a lot of times they won't be real active until, you know, around 10 a.m., um, yep. which is, like I said, a great thing about smallies. <laughs> you know, if you're chasing largemouth or, 
or even trout, you know, sometimes, you, you know, you need to be out there at first light, but boy, with smallmouth, you know, unless it's just, you know, the heat of our summers where it's hot and humid, there's, you know, uh, and heck, honestly, the only reason I may start at eight is just to get a jump on covering some mileage to get to a spot that, uh, I want to get to. So, yeah, that uh, makes a lot of sense. You know, I, I mean, you're talking about smallies in particular, but I find even with trout, the same can be true, especially when you're hitting any higher elevation waters. You know, those those insects aren't usually moving until the water or till that sun comes up a little bit anyway, for the most part. And, you know, you might be able to get a little more sleep in the morning and kind of hit the hatches harder. I I find like 10 o'clock is kind of the, 10 a.m. is kind of the magic spot for me uh, in my neck of the woods when when crannies are coming off or, um, you know, damsels, whatever. They're not usually going first thing in the morning, especially when the water's a little cooler. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I, I still go out west every year and fish. I really love Wyoming, uh, Wyoming and Idaho and, and, and Montana as well. But yeah. That's a, the beauty of out there, same as you were saying. Just, you know, no reason to get up and get out there super early. You know, let's wait till about 10 and we can hit the water then and fish till dark. If there was something you could change about fly fishing, is there anything you'd like to see us do differently or maybe we could do a little better at? You know, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of mentioned it, you know, a little earlier. I think uh, it, it is getting better, but I still think there's, you know, maybe an elitist attitude with fly fishermen that, and really, I don't understand. Don't I don't see the need in it. Um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I really, you know, if you're respecting the, the resource and doing everything legal, I I have no problem how you catch the fish. You know, I yeah, it's a it's a personal uh, choice to me, and and uh, you know, I think uh, uh, you know, you know, and kind of alluding to the rough side of the game and, and going into a lot of fly shops, I see. You know, sometimes uh, kind of the old school fly shop, uh, you know, there are new people walking in are almost intimidated because you have, you know, a bunch of guys sitting around, you know, and kind of will turn and stare at you uh, <laughs> when you walk in the door and make you feel uncomfortable. And, you know, in yeah. these days, you know, we all know we can pretty much buy everything we want on the phone and, you know, I, I, I would hate to see, I, you know, I hate when local fly shops close and, you know, I, I, I think, you know, we're missing, you know, we miss so much with that and it's such a great resource for people. And I just, you know, I, I just wish, you know, they would, we, some people would drop that, that little bit of attitude and, mm-hmm. and really also just realize that, uh, man, you can, you can catch whatever you want on a fly rod. There's no, you know, there's no rule saying that you can only fish for this. Uh, I think it's, the industry is, is lacking in marketing, you know, I mean, our, the companies I represent, I think we're, we're somewhat guilty of it as well as you see your tarpon and permit bonefish, you see your trout species and maybe a redfish or two, but, uh, you know, you don't see a whole lot of guys with smallmouth or largemouth bass or, yeah. you know, others, you know, I, obviously I, I want to see the sport grow and get bigger and continue, you know, to thrive. And I think that's, you know, not everybody lives close to trout water. So, uh, you know, embracing some of that other stuff and, and market to it, you know, I think would be pretty advantageous. Yeah, I think that's well put. Like, embrace what you have because you, you may have the best carp fishing in North America and not know it. Or you may have the best right. fly fishing for perch that you could have ever seen. And, yeah, maybe it's not 
as exhilarating as catching a large smallie or a large brown, but you know, not every day do they have to be giants either. Oh no, I, I I've had plenty of just phenomenal days with a two late rod catching, you know, catching bluegill. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's a it's a fun thing, and it's it's just you know, as far as if I'm not mistaken, like the largemouth bass is is uh, in all fifty states, I believe, and. You know, I know trout for sure aren't, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I just I think there's a lot of things you know you, people can take advantage of in fisheries that uh, you know get out and explore it a little bit. And, you know, I always say, you know, guys would say, well, you know, would be hesitant on booking a trip. You know, a local guy that you know to book a trip with me, and I'd say, you know, well, yeah, but if you, when you go to Montana, you you book guides, and I so I understand that, but why wouldn't you want to pay me for a day? Uh, and teach you a little bit about fishing a river that you could fish, you know, 30, 40 times a year, as opposed to, you know, one one week out of the year, right? Why, why don't we get some of your info out there now, Jeff? So uh, if somebody wants to book a, a trip with you uh, through Ozark Sweetwater, uh, what's the best way to do that? Uh, OzarkSweetwater.com uh, online and, or uh, Ozark Sweetwater uh, is my Instagram Twitter handle. Our at Ozark Sweetwater, and uh, also have Three Creeks Outdoor Instagram as well. Uh, okay. But any any one of those is uh, I'm probably a little remiss on posting on the Three Creeks group page, but uh, but yeah, those are the things you can hold of. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time. We've been chatting with Jeff Trigg out of central southern Missouri, um, owner head guide at Ozark Sweetwater Fly Fishing, certified casting instructor, and is also with Three Creeks Outdoors, Sage Elite Pro Staff, and uh, amongst other things, I know Reddington Toey Boats. Am I saying that right? Yeah, Toey. Yeah, T-O-W-E-E, Toey Boats, Plan D Fly Boxes. Yeah, Smith Fly Raft, Kind of sound like a NASCAR guy going through sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> well, you get some racing stripes out there. Well, we'll look right. for it. Hey, thanks so much, Jeff, for taking the time. Appreciate it, and have a great season on the water. All right, thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Have a blast. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com. Thank you for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Your feedback matters. Let us know if there's a person or topic you'd like discussed. Email us at mark at flyfishing97.com. Until next time, tight lines and we'll see you on the water.